Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to be here and thankful for your word and how gracious you are to provide it to us that we might be able to have a light in the midst of the darkness that is in this world. And we're so thankful that we could operate in such a way that we are in complete uh, control as we allow the Holy Spirit to direct us of uh, which direction to go in in this life and decisions and all of these things and an understanding of knowing when we are sinning and when we're not and knowing when to have a change of mind and with all of these things you provided for us that we might be able to serve you in a proper manner. We're so thankful for that in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we left off on page five where we were talking about the difference between unrighteousness and sin. And um, so if you go back to Romans chapter five, there was a period in time that we talked about. And I just want to deal with this before we get back to the outline in which God was not counting men's sin to be sin. Why? Uh, and I believe what was being dealt with in that period was unrighteousness because he still dealt with these men. He still dealt with them and he held them accountable for things that they did. Well, we saw in Romans five that he wasn't counting sin to be sin. Right. So you see, in, for example, with Cain and Abel, when Cain killed Abel, you know, one of the interesting things is that he told Cain that a fugitive and a vagabond you will be. And he actually protected him. If you go back in Genesis chapter four, he protected him. Right. Why did he do that? And then later on in chapter nine, he says he commands all murderers to be put to death. Anyone who murders another man by his blood shall uh, he be put to death or by that other uh, man shall shed his blood. And so he commands that that happens. Why did he do that? He destroyed the world due to corruption. And a lot of people miss one of the things as to why he destroyed the world. And, you know, they, they stop on Genesis 6. If you turn over there just a second, I wanted to show you something. In Genesis chapter 6, they talk about the fact that, um, that the world um, was full of um, violence. Or actually that, um, that people were evil is what you end up hearing said most of the time, but one of the things that is neglected to focus on is in verse 12. And so you saw what happened there from verse 1, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the first face of the earth, daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man, for he shall, um, that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them, the same became the mighty men of old, men of renown, or really men of reputation. Uh, and verse 5, And God saw the wickedness, or really the evil, of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. And it repented God, or changed his attitude, that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now notice in verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. It goes on to talk about those generations. And then verse 11, it says, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence and God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh 
had corrupted his way upon the earth. And so you have some things that are going on there that, you know, are pretty different in which these sons of God were trying to uh, thwart, I think, um, the, son, the promised son from coming. And uh, they were manipulating the genetics, which is something that you see going on today. And so every time you see that, you see Satan trying to manipulate genetics. And this is what he was doing in Genesis 6. And so, look, he destroyed the world as a result of this corruption. He judged those at the Tower of Babel. So remember, he's not counting men's sin to be sin between Adam and Moses, but he's still rendering judgment. Why? Unrighteousness is a bigger term. It is just as bad. But why are we saying this? Because God is making a distinction today between unrighteousness and sin. He tells you that you confess sin and that he cleanses you from unrighteousness that leads up to the sin. Now that's important for you to understand today. Why? Because I think it gets to the issue of why a lot of people are dealing with the issue and they believe you can sin in your mind. A lot of what they're doing is unrighteous. Right? That's what's going on. And so they don't see this kind of delineation that God is making. And they want to unite and put everything under one heading. It's all sin. Well, it's not. And you cannot prove that from Scripture. You make that statement. I'd like to see you prove it from Scripture. You can't prove it. You can't. And so notice, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, he wasn't counting men's sins against them. Men were dying and they were committing these acts of unrighteousness and they were being dealt with because of their unrighteousness. And they died, as uh, Paul told you in Romans 5, because they were dying because of what? Adam's sin. Adam's sin. There is a conflation in the minds of a lot of people that it's the sins of people that are causing all the problems that God has a problem with. If you were to stop everybody from sinning in the world, they would still die and go to hell. Do you realize that? And so there's just this big misunderstanding of what scripture teaches about what sin is. And it just keeps being perpetuated over and over and over. And I don't care how many times you can come to scripture and show people that what they're saying is not right. It persists. And so notice you'll see again, he punished Lot's wife. All she did was look back. My goodness, can't you just even look back? That's all she did. She looked back, turned into a pillow of salt. And so people do things that are unrighteous, and so you have unrighteousness, and if you were to look at it from a bigger point of view, there's a lot of things, there's a lot more things that God deals with that are unrighteous. And in each dispensation, what you see is he says, in different dispensations, don't do this. If you cross this line, you will sin. Now, I hope that you don't have cotton and tweed mixed together today. Because under law, they couldn't do that. And if they did that, it could end in an act of sin. And so we understand that today. That, Well, I think we do. But most people don't follow it through to its logical conclusion. That there's a lot of things that God prevented under law that are not being prevented today. And so here you have unrighteousness. 
So imagine if you say that this was unrighteous. And in different situations, he says, these things are sin, don't do them, right? So in this dispensation of grace, one of the best things to see, some people use diet, right? Here you can eat anything you can give thanks for. See the distinction there on the law? It, it was different. I mean, there's obviously, and we showed you last week, that there were some things that are sin no matter which dispensation, and it comes all the way through it, adultery and things of that nature. But then there are some things that, uh, that were different. And so uh, another one would be doubt. So this wasn't a sin, say, in the Old Testament. You come over here in the New Testament. If you do anything in doubt, it's a sin. Now, I didn't say that. You find it right over in Romans chapter 13. Anything not out of faith is sin. If you act and you do something and you're not being led to do that by the Holy Spirit and it's not out of faith, the moment you do that thing, you have sinned. Now, you can't say that for a lot of the Old Testament saints. Then I guess Gideon would have been sinning all day long and he didn't. I mean, he put out a fleece, as you can go over and see. He doubted what God said. And so you have this issue of unrighteousness is what we're trying to say, and you have to account for it. You just can't ignore it. You just can't ignore it away, and you can't ignore the terms that are mentioned in Scripture and just act like they don't exist. They do, and they're crucial to this issue of sin. And you have to account for them. And so we were looking at some of those uh, on page five, and we looked at the Hebrew terms for unrighteousness that displease God. It would include transgression. And remember, we saw last week that uh, today there is no transgression, right? And somebody answered the question, why is there no transgression today? Go ahead, Don. Because there's no law. So... You had transgression. Here you have it in reverse. Transgression under law was seen um, as something that was bad, right? Today in this dispensation, well, it's not. Uh, today it wouldn't even be. It's, it's different from sin. But the point is that you, under law you had transgression, and today you don't have it at all. And so you have transgression. You have trespass. And we looked at the, the word for trespass. And let me just show you a good New Testament place in uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, where you have this issue of trespass. And I would imagine that people would say that there is sin here. But this is not sin, uh, as it's being talked about in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. So he says in uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. And so that word fault is the word for per, uh, or excuse me, parapetoma, which is a trespass. Now, we saw in Ephesians chapter 2 that you have two things, trespasses and sins. Trespass is you do something that offends God. The moment that you say that you're going to commit a sin, you have offended God. That's a trespass. So this guy here, for some reason, that person knows. And notice only a spiritual believer is going to understand this. 
If you're carnal, you're not going to notice that this person's in a trespass. You're not going to have the discernment to see it. And you can see believers will tell other believers all kinds of different things, and the other believer sometimes doesn't have the discernment to see what is being said to them. So someone says, hey, I'm going to go and do such and such a thing, and let's just stay with our uh, analogy of robbing a bank. And you say, well, well, you know what, I can see that. You know, you've been down on your luck. You know, things have happened in your life. I understand it, man. Sometimes you can commiserate with people to the point that you hurt them. You hurt them. But if you're spiritual, you say, hey, man, you de- you've determined to do that. You're out of line. This is not what you should be doing. Right? And only a spiritual believer will, will un- understand how to identify who this person is and how to lead them away from it. So that word that, uh, that is used here, restore such a one, it's actually the word to adjust such a one, of putting them back in, in line. It's kind of like as you, you would treat a compound fracture, to adjust it back into place. And notice in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you be tempted, and you can have that. Because if you see someone who has determined that they're going to commit an act of sin, it can be unwielding. And they can actually, if you're not careful, get you riled up and get you into a situation. It's kind of like where they say somebody who's drowning. They want to fight you and pull you down with them. And so a spiritual believer is able to make this discernment and to understand the difference. So notice, fault. So somebody says, everything's a sin. Okay, what is a fault? Can you tell me that? The word fault is the word trespass. Then how do you account for this? And so you have <coughs> trespass, and we've seen transgression, it's not today. Then you have the word um, uh, apathia, which is uh, to be unpersuadable, um, or it's translated in um, asabia, ungodly. In the Hebrew, the word rasha describes um, to be wicked, to, be, to act wickedly. Uh, the Greek word is asabia, means deliberately withholding that which is due to God in one's life or deeds. Then you have uh, the word uh, perico, it's a refusal to hear in disregard of what God has said. So there is a failure to hear, or thus to be disobedient. Um, then you have the word for evil, and there's several words for evil that are listed. You have in the Hebrew ra, which is... Uh, to noting to break up or to ruin the rough exterior of wrongdoing as a breach of harmony or as a breaking up of what is good, desirable in man or in society. The Greek word, you have a couple, you have paneros, which is emphasized, uh, has its emphasis upon the man who acts evilly and desires to conspire with others to spread it. And then you have kakos, which is one who desires to do evil for his own gratification. So you have people who do evil things um, and so you have kakos, a good place to see it is, um, notice it just turned here, and there is a textual variant here, but I think that uh, the word kakos is the word that uh, should be here, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It's going to come down to, at the Bema Seat judgment, what kind of works did we do while we were in this body? And our works are going to be measured as to whether they were good 
or whether they were evil, whether they were lacking in character. And I think this word kakos deals more with a selfish kind of evil, is that you are evil and you're just, you're not wanting other people to be involved in it. You're just evil yourself. And you're, you're content to be evil by yourself. Like I've always given the illustration that gang members are more ponderous. If you get these little uh, gang members by themselves, most of them are nothing but wimps. You can see that. Have you ever seen that picture, um, uh, 48 Hours, where they go into, they investigate these murders and these guys go out. They're big guys when they're with other people and they kill people and you get them in the interrogation room and they're crying like little babies. You know, they're just little wimps, most of them. When they're by when they're when they're by themselves, but when they get together, you know they they feel a little stronger. But notice here in Second Corinthians five, the distinction between good and evil, in verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of God. It is necessary that where we must, it is necessary that every single believer appears before the bema seat of God. Now this is not the great white throne judgment. This is the Bema Seat Judgment, and I believe it, it happens immediately after the rapture, right? Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says we're going to be caught up into a meeting with the Lord in the air. And I believe that's what he's talking about here. And notice in 1 Corinthians 3, it says that the believer is not going to be judged. What's at view are the works of the believer. What did we do while we were in this body? Now he's going to characterize those works in two different ways. And he says... It is necessary that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to whether he has done what he has done, whether it be good. And so you have the word good. There is agathos. Now, I, I really believe that these works here are the ones that the Holy Spirit leads the believer to accomplish. I really believe that that's what's happening here. If you do a little word study of agathos. You and I don't inherently have the ability to do things out of this motivation. We don't inherently have that ability. But as the Holy Spirit provides, we can do it out of that motivation. And so you have that on the one side, then you have the word are bad. Or then you have a variant there as to whether it's phylon, which is good for nothing, and then kakos. And so most of your um, readings, better readings, says it's kakos, right? Whether it's Lacking in character, you're doing something not that you're led to do. You're doing something for your own benefit. And so, for example, in First Timothy 6, it says that love of money is a root of all evil. You know what word it uses? This word. It's lacking in character. And you notice when it comes to money, not very few people want to share it. They want to get it for themselves. And so you have that word. Then you have sarpas, which is uh, rotten to the core. Okay, so if everything is a sin, okay, what is sarpas? Have you ever heard anybody discuss what sarpas is? <laughs> and so there are things people do and states that people are in where they're just rotten and they're rotten to the core. Um, and then you have... Um, Unclean, you have the Hebrew word for unclean is tame, which means that which is impure, defiled. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's used of unceremonial uncleanliness. Uh, in the Greek word is the word for uh, kaino, which focuses upon the inward mental condition of men that make them unclean. And so a lot of what people think are sins. So, for example, um, 
you have, um, uh, lips, uh, can't think of the work of the flesh there, but there are some mental things that people have that are unclean. Or I think actually it's the work of the flesh itself. You have uncleanliness where you look at someone and the world teaches you to do this as just nothing more than sex object, right? Now, that's an unrighteous thing. Now, it could be carried out if you probably did something with it. And so you have this, and now notice you have the uh, deception. The Hebrew word shah designates anything that is uh, uh, unsubstantial or real or worthless, either materially or morally. One Greek word for deception is uh, planao, a plane, which is used to seduce one to be led astray in morals or doctrines. Then you have apato, which is a Greek word for deception. There's several Greek words for deception that are used uh, in Scripture, and it describes behaviors of people who try to deceive other people. There's apato, uh, uh, apatao is the Greek word, and it, it's a, more, a little bit more insidious. It's a deception that takes place due to the giving of a false impression. And so you give someone a false impression. You don't just out and out lie about it, but you give a false impression that something is the case when you know that it's not. Uh, Then you have idolatry. The Hebrew word for um, is the worshiping of teraphim, which is rendered in the Hebrew spirit or demon, false gods. Um, then you have the Greek word is uh, idolatria, uh, which is putting anything in the place of God. So here's idolatry. You can see it in Colossians 3, 5. Anything that I take and I make that thing more important than God, I put it in the place of God, I'm making that thing an idol. It really doesn't even have to be a thing. It can be a person. Um, Somebody, I think it was Dr. Schaefer back in the day, and and he said it. A lot of people are taking their kids and they're doing nothing but making idols of their kids. And what are they doing? And you can see it today. It used to be that um, sporting events would never be on Sunday. But now they're on Sunday. Now people have a choice. They have to make a choice. Do I fellowship with the saints? Or do I go take little Susie to soccer, her soccer match? Right. And so then people make these choices to where they are taking these things innocent in and of themselves. But you can take these things and you can make them an idol. They can become an idol. And so now we looked at these in Romans chapter one of the different unrighteousness. And we can go back to Romans chapter one and you'll see it again. And we'll just go right down the line and give you definitions for what these things are. In Romans chapter 1, remember, now I believe this is over around the time of Babel, uh, where on the other side of the ark, you had these people who knew God, and they did not glorify him as God. And notice they turned to all of these unrighteous behaviors. Now, we know that they're all unrighteous because we're told in verse 29 that they're unrighteous. Actually, he says... Um, in verse 18, for the wrath of God, already a quality of the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth uh, by their unrighteousness. And he goes down to verse 29 and he talks about these, this group of people who at a period in time and past, they were filled with all unrighteousness. Now notice he's going to give this category of what unrighteousness is. Notice fornication. 
Fornication is to engage in sexual immorality of any kind, often with the implication of prostitution, uh, and that's from um, Lower Nida. But I think it would, it would be a little bit bigger than that. I think that it would include all sexual deviancy. So what's happening today? You know, it's funny, as you look at the American culture, people are seeing that these are progressive behaviors and progressive attitudes, but they're not. All of what you're seeing is unrighteous behavior being displayed. That's all you're seeing. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but that's what it is. And it's been done before. It's nothing new under the sun. It's been done before. And so you have fornication would include all of these sexual deviancies. Then you have wickedness. Wickedness is an evil that lacks in character and spreads, and so that would uh, be ponderous evil. You have covetousness. Covetousness is a strong desire, uh, a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people have, all irrespective of need. It's not that I really need it, but, you know, I see that my neighbor has it. And you've seen the Buick commercials, right? That's what they really inspire in people is covetousness. Well, look, at the neighbor has it. And if you want to be seen like Joe and Bob next door, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Joe and Sue <laughs> next door, uh, then you might want to get what they have. Uh, maliciousness, <laughs> maliciousness uh, is, a, is an evil that lacks in character and is content to be left, uh, be so alone. Then it's full of envy. Envy in a negative sense is jealousy over the good success of another. Now, this is different from covetousness. You can see someone with something and you don't necessarily want it for yourself. You just don't like the fact that they have it. Right. You don't like the fact that they have it. And so you have envy and then you have murder. Murder is to deprave a person of life by um, illegally or intentionally killing them or senseless. It's a senseless killing. You're killing someone for your own selfish purposes. And so you have people in our society who don't have the ability to distinguish between um, manslaughter. They don't have the ability to distinguish between um, uh, uh, murder. Right. Even scripture made those distinctions. You know, there was a person that was a provision in scripture under law that if you kill someone unintentionally, you were uh, maybe chopping wood and the axe flew off and hit somebody in the head and killed them, that you could flee to a certain place. And if you made it there, you could be uh, uh, there was a provision given to you for that. Uh, so you have people today. that Oh, no, no killing for any cause. Well, I would like to see a person like that. Just allow a burglar to come to their house and just run free. Are you kidding me? Oh, we're not supposed to kill for any reason. Well, you know, that goes way beyond what scripture says. Murder is killing for your own selfish purposes. It's not that you're trying to protect your family. It's not that you're trying to protect anyone. It's not that you're trying to protect the country. It's not that you're trying to protect anyone. You're killing for your own selfish purposes. This word for debate is actually has the idea of conflicting resulting, excuse me, conflict resulting from rivalry or discord, deceit to deceive by use of trickery and falsehood. Uh, let's see. 
So it's, it's yeah, the, the uh, by trickery and falsehood, you have malignity. It's an evil disposition leading to one to habitually engage in malicious acts. Uh, and so you see that, and then you have the list continues. Whispers, one who habitually engages in gossip. Then that's not gossip. Uh, the P was left off of that. It's gossip. And you know, I mean, look at our, uh, our society again today. There's gossip everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, it's all over TV. They have shows that talk about gossip. Did you hear what was happening with Tom Hanks? Um, you know, they go on a talk show. When I did used to watch talk shows, what struck me was when the person would sit down on the talk show, the first thing he would ask him is, who's, who's in your love life? Well, who cares? I don't care about that. And just all of this malicious spreading of information that has no basis in fact whatsoever. You don't even know if it has any basis in fact, but it doesn't really matter because it works. Backbiters, one who engages in speaking against or insulting slanderer, a slanderer, one who insults. Haters of God, one who has a disregard for God. Despiteful, a hubris person who is a violent aggressor especially of one who takes a superior attitude and he mistreats others out of his own revolt against God's revelation of truth. And you can see this in the scribes and the Pharisees. They were very insulting. You can see it in, in John chapter 9 with the man who was, uh, they, that was healed of blindness. And that, well, you be a sinner born from birth and you will tell us. <laughs> right? And so you have that kind of an insulting behavior. Uh, then you have um, proud and an empty boaster who brags about his position and he despises others. Uh, then you have boasters, one who arrogantly presumes too much about himself, a show off. So you have a lot of pride words that are talked about in scripture too. You know, scripture is so intricate. It, it covers the gamut of human behavior. And there are several different words that, that really gives you insight about people who are prideful. Um, then you have inventors of evil things, one who thinks up schemes or plans or actions, a contriver. They think of, of ways of doing evil. Disobedient to parents. In other words, they are impersuadable. They're uncompliant, contemptuous to one's own parents. And so you, you can't, the parent can't persuade them. They just, you, you can't, they've, they've gotten a different mindset and they cannot be convinced of what the parent is saying uh, without understanding pertaining to a lack of capacity for insight covenant breakers pertaining to one not being bound or not regarding oneself as bound under any covenant or agreement without natural affection and so pertaining to a lack of love or affection for one's close relatives or associates or family without natural or normal human affection and so you can see this, and I think this is used again over in Second Timothy, without natural affection. You see people who don't, I mean, normally you would have, and people will tolerate people in their own family because, hey, they're your family, right? It's who you were born with. You have people today who don't even have that much. They don't have a fondness for people in their own family. And you can see it with regard to uh, parents, kids and parents and such of I mean, a I was just reading the other day, this guy, kid down in Coco, uh, over in Coco. His mother was uh, 
um, imploring him to do his chores. He got tired of her imploring him to do his chores. What did he do? He got a knife and stabbed her any number of times. And then called his friend over, tried to find out if he had a weapon that he could use to finish her off. <laughs> this is, you have today in our society, this is running rampant. It is running rampant. Implacable is pertaining to being unwilling to be reconciled to others, unwilling to be at peace with others. Unmerciful is often expressed in a highly idiomatic way, for example, to refuse to look at or to turn one's back on or to refuse to hear a person's cries for help. Um, and then you have this word for iniquity. And this word for iniquity is used, and it's not used here, but it's used several times, a lot, well, quite a few times in Scripture. And you really have to translate what it means. So iniquity has become a filling word for a lot of different terms. Um, And so when you read it in the Old and New Testament, you really have to try to trace or track what is that word talking about? So a lot of people will try to say iniquity. Well, that's just let's just put sin as a a fill in for all of these. And so it's translated 278 times in various uh, for various sin and unrighteous related terms. So it's translated uh, eight times in uh, uh, for um, iniquity. It's translated for um, Eight Old Testament terms is what I wanted to say. And so it is used to translate the word that signifies the bent of nature uh, in an individual as a result of Adam's trespass. And so the word, um, I think it's awin there. Uh, And so it's translated um, avon 170 times in the Old Testament. And it's used the majority of the time in the Pentateuch and the the, uh, major prophets. And so iniquity is used to translate the Hebrew word avin which suggests uh, not so much a breach of law or injury done to another or as a course of conduct, which will in the end prove unprofitable to the doer. It presents the evil devices of men in their false, hollow and unreal aspects. Um, it's used to translate the word evil, which is injustice. OK, I mean, we're dealing with a lot of terms here and I am intentionally throwing them at you. Why? Because if you talk about sin, you have to account for these words. You have to account for these terms. You just can't just generalize and say everything is sin. What is this? And so notice here, it translates evil, which is injustice, unrighteous, wrong, violent deeds of injustice. It's used to translate the Hebrew word ava, which means to bend or to twist. The fifth Hebrew word it translates as hawa, which means to desire, or it's a chasm or engulfing ruin, rasha. Uh, Ava, uh, and then you have Amal, which means to toil or to trouble or to labor. So iniquity translates all of these different terms. Uh, normally, it has a general uh, statement when you see iniquity. Most people think that it's talking about sin. That it's talking about sin. And I don't think that if, if you take that stance, uh, you would not have actually done your homework in translating uh, uh, studying to see what scripture says about it. Now, as you come to the New, to the new Testament, you have 15 different uses, usage, usages, there you go, of iniquity. You have uh, anomia, which is our word, that uh, lawlessness that we've talked about before, behaving with complete disregard for the laws or regulations of a society or to live lawlessly. 
And then you have adikia, which is the word for unrighteousness, uh, to have a disregard for what is right. Uh, per, uh, paranomia, uh, which is a word used to describe the iniquity of Balaam, in which he it was an act of law-breaking that stems for, from habitual disregard for the law, wrongdoing, evildoing, or transgression. And then you have iniquity is seen in Scripture as distinct uh, from sin. And so you can see that uh, in several places that uh, it's not translating sin. And let's just look at some of those places. Look at, if you would, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 5. Well, look at Isaiah 6, 7 first. Isaiah 6, 7. Yeah. And so this is talking about um, Isaiah as he, um, uh, the famous passage that he saw the Lord when Uzziah died in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord um, sitting upon uh, a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings and twain. He covered his face and with two uh, he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one called, or cried, unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, whose earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, I am undone. Behold, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim um, ha- unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs off the altar. And he said, uh, put it up on my mouth. And I said, lo, this uh, has touched thy lips and thine iniquity. Or really, it's a word for perversity. And that's really uh, dealing with the old nature is taken away and thy sin is purged. And so you have the word for um Iniquity or I win, which is used quite a bit, and it's looking at the perversity, the, the perverse nature of men. Uh, for example, when, if you go back and we don't uh, do that, we won't have time to do it, but over in the, um, well, let's do it. Genesis chapter 4, you see it used with regard to um, Cain. They translated punishment here, but it's actually, you could translate it as the word for perversity. In Genesis chapter 4, and so notice you see what happens here. And so Cain kills his brother, and um, <coughs> notice God hands out his uh, directive as to what he's going to do with Cain. And notice he says, uh, verse 11, and, na- and now art thou cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand, when thy tilleth the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be in the earth. And this was significant. And so Cain was, was, uh, was uh, sentenced to wander, which he didn't do. In verse 13, and Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment, or really, that's the word that we just saw here, uh, with iniquity, my perversity, my bent of will, or my bent of nature, is greater than I could bear. Well, why did he say that? He says, that's why I killed Abel. 
my perversity. And so you look at that word for I win, and it deals with the fact of the state that someone is in as a result of this fallen nature. And inside you have people that are dealing with this all the time, that perverse nature and what it makes you think and some of the things it causes people to do. And this is why I have got no response from anybody when I've asked a question, can anybody write for me a diary of all the thoughts that go through their mind in the course of a week? And I see head shaking even as we speak. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not going to ever happen, right? Because there is this fallen nature and it causes you to think thoughts you wouldn't even let your friend know, your closest friend know. And so you have that, and notice it's contrasted in Isaiah 6. You have iniquity, and then it deals with perversity. You have to account for these terms. The Holy Spirit, when we say that every word matters, he didn't just write the words and put them in there just because he wanted to fill paper. And a failure to study and to reconcile these words with what sin is has led to the idea with a lot of people you can sin in your mind. Now, notice you will see it one other place and we'll, we'll go we'll, um, is in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 5. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 5. Daniel is just a wonderful book to read. It's just, uh, we went through it some years ago, and it was just a, a, a hoot to go through. It's just full of so many things that are um, really exciting. And so notice, here's Daniel. He prays for the nation of Israel, and this is for the nation as a whole. And notice in verse 3, he says, And I have set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I have prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Notice he says, we have sinned. Now, I hope you don't say that today. Really? Your sins are between you and God. With Israel as a nation, they sinned as a nation. And we saw that last week, remember, with, um, with um, Achan. Okay, it almost escaped me. We have sinned and have committed this iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. And so you have three different terms that are used there. And you have to find out, okay, what's, what's, what, what's going on here? As a nation, they sinned. There was iniquity involved. Wickedly, you have to account for these terms. They're not just all sin, unless the Holy Spirit says, sinned, we have sinned, sinned, and sinned. Right? And so that's really important to understand. Now, some things that God counted to be sin has changed, and we looked at this. Now, I kind of looked at it this way. Uh, so you started with, from here, you went to unrighteousness. Now, under law, you see some things that are sinful under law, some things that have been consistent between law and grace, 
say sexual immorality, adult idolatry, um, sin of unbelief, um, excuse me, acting independent of God. Uh, some of those things are, are consistent um, that you see. Uh, and I say the sin of unbelief only because of John 16. Uh, then you have sins that are unique to this grace, uh, this dispensation of grace. Anything without faith is sin. Knowing to do the will of God and not doing it is sin. James 4. He who knows to do the will of God and does it not. Somebody said, well, they must have thought it in their mind. No, they did something in the opposite of it. Let me give you an example. So I knew it was God's will for me to come to Florida. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay here and operate in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The moment that I made the decision to do the opposite of that and did it, at that point, I've sinned. And so you see some things different in this dispensation than um, was even presented to the nation of Israel under law. Um, Anything not out of faith? You act. The moment you act and it's not out of faith, the moment you do that thing, you have sinned. Okay, so well, this is encompassing all of what Scripture has said. It's taking into account what Scripture says about some of these things. And so let's run through some of these here before we close out. And we'll have enough time for you to ask questions and make comments. Some things God counted to be sin has changed from dispensation to dispensation, while others are considered to sin have remained consistent in each dispensation. Notice under law, sin was national. And so God had a covenant with Israel. When one sinned, all were affected. Sin was personal as well. Sin required sacrifices. And so I hope that you're not bringing any lambs to church. You bring your lamb, Cindy, today? No? Okay, <laughs> you left them at home. Sin required sacrifices. Christ was our sacrifice. <coughs> sacrifices for sin has been dealt with. You're not doing that today. Sin could be done in ignorance. And this is an interesting thing because how many times have we prayed and we got down? I know we did it as kids. I hope you're not doing this as adults. And you get down and you say, God, forgive me for all sin, known and unknown. Right. We did that as kids. I hope you're not doing that today. What does it say in First John 1? If you happen to confess your sins. And that's really to say the same thing God says about it. It presupposes that, you know what the sin is. If you happen to confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of the sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Uh, Under grace, sin is personal. Sin is forgiven. Sin is confessed. Christ is the place of satisfaction for sins. And then there are sins that are unique uh, in the Old Testament. Again, you have the sins of ignorance. You have failure to offer up sacrifice. You have wrongly approaching the tabernacle. All of these things were seen as sin under law, but they're not sin today. And so if you say, as some people say, that sin has a beginning here, and it's this code of morality that starts here, and it goes all the way over to the end, you cannot prove that from Scripture. I would like to see you prove that from Scripture. I think that just what we've put here, we've, we've dispelled that from Scripture, that that's not true. But you know what makes it have legs? The people that say it are famous. 
and they're more famous than any of these guys that teach here. And I've just understood something. You can say something if you're famous, and it doesn't really have to be true. But hey, God knows. He's the one that we're really trying to please and not people.